The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Adventure Jogger. Of course, my name is Ryan, and one of the coolest things about my job as the host of a tertiary uh, running podcast is I get to meet fascinating people from not only all over the United States, but all over the world. And today, we're going to get to know a runner who lives in Goodwood, Canada. We're going all the way to the frozen north. Please welcome the adventure jogger, John Shep. Hello, John. Hi, Ryan. And got to say, it's I'm fanboying a little bit hearing that music in my ear and be like, oh, good grief. I'm going to be on this. This is awesome. So, yes, thank you. And if uh, if you're in tertiary podcast land, I have no idea what that uh, that makes me, but I appreciate it and looking forward to talking to you today. We're we're a, we're a tight little group. Um, you know, we're, we're a small group. We don't we don't need hundreds of thousands of, you know, Joe Rogan level downloads. We're fine with the little world we're in right now. And it kind of gives you an opportunity to, you know, meet some runners who, you know, John Shep, you did not win Western States last year. Spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, John Shep was not your your Western States winner for last year. But I, I'm a firm believer in every runner has a story. And we all come to this sport in in unique ways, and we all come to the sport in a certain time, and it, and it brings something to our lives. And I think no matter where you fall in the pack, there's value to everybody's story. And sometimes, too, the, the really great people are, are snoozer interviews. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the reality of the situation as well. But, John, let's get to know you. You're, you're, you're in Goodwood, Canada, which you said is, is north of Ontario, right? So, yeah, I'm in Ontario. I'm about an hour and a half north of Toronto, depending on who's driving. Uh, so, obviously, Raptor Land and, and the moribund Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, just having... Uh, another playoff uh, out of uh, playoff contention uh, for our, our wonderful Toronto Maple Leafs. But yes, uh, about an hour and a half north of Toronto, uh, grew up about a half hour north of Toronto and just kind of progressively moved north to uh, to escape housing prices. Yeah, because because I know we're dealing with that here in the States as, as housing prices increase and people that are looking to buy homes now are going like, I have to pay what for what? That's ridiculous. Just a year ago, that was half that cost. You and Canada are have been dealing with that for a bit longer than we have in the States, haven't you? Yeah. So, I mean, when we bought our first, so my wife and I bought our first house, I guess it was about 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, within five years had doubled. And so it's, it's frightening for people who are a large number of people who are my age, whose parents now are going into debt so that their kids can go into debt, right? right. They're remortgaging their houses so that their kids can get a mortgage and just like good grief this just seems astronomical it is crazy but i'm sure being a canadian and you know in canada you probably deal with things a little differently like instead of of getting disappointed and 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 road raging you probably just go oh darn it wasn't meant to be let's see what this next house is a boot you know (laughs) (laughs) oh yes no it's you know what i (laughs) 
Isn't it great, I've though? Unfortunate. Isn't it funny, John? The Canadians have a reputation. How everybody, every culture has stereotypes associated with it, right? How? Horrible. Oh yeah, we've got we've got igloos and beavers right. and oh yeah, all the things. But how horrible that your 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 land, your people, um, are known for being nice. Your stereotype is God. Those Canadians are so damn nice. <laughs> no, you know what I. I've been fortunate enough to work both in the, in Canada and the U S and mm. it's, it's, it's nice going to the U S for visits, but yeah. home is home. Right. And I'm sure you feel the exact same way, right? Like oh, yeah. you go home and irrespective of where you've been, when you come home, it's, it, this just fits. So I couldn't imagine being, being anywhere else. You know, I, I find that true. a lot of truth in that, you know, home for me is, is Tennessee. And I know Tennessee has some, some interesting stereotypes about about that state but i'll tell you what i love it it's it's home i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world you know it's 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 a it's a great state and i've lived other places but i i i was thinking about this the other day while i was out for a run if money was no object if i could live anywhere i wanted to would i still choose to live in tennessee and and i and i thought about it and i was like you know what? i think the answer is yes i think i would still choose to live in tennessee um, if if money was no object. Now, my wife may tell you something completely different. She might be like, ah, no. <laughs> well, now, where was she from? Because you were from Wisconsin originally, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're both from the same region of Wisconsin. She grew up, you know, a half hour away from where I grew up in Wisconsin. So we both have family still up there. But I, I kind of like being about eight hours away from from family so there's no there's no sneaking up on anybody there's none of that we get kind of a little bit of privacy but yeah i I, it's home i love it um let's get into some running here people are going to be like is this just a a well see and i was about to ask you like how far so you said you and your wife grew up a half hour away from each other Mm -hmm. how long before you met was that the case okay so so she grew up um, in a town called Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is about a half hour from where I grew up, which is McGuanaga, Wisconsin. And her cousin was my neighbor growing up. So they lived about seven houses down from us on the cul-de-sac that I grew up on. A little, little, little street called Cernan Court. All, of, all the, the streets in my, in my neighborhood were named after astronauts. And so I always was, was jealous of the, the people that lived on Armstrong. Living on Neil Armstrong Court, that's pretty cool. And I got stuck named after Gene Cernan. Everyone's like, who the hell's Gene Cernan? And I'm like, I think he was on Apollo 14. I think he was on the one that worked. And so that's why no one remembers his name. But anyway, so so she was she was a, a cousins with my neighbor. And so we may have seen each other during like neighborhood functions or something, but we don't remember. But we actually met at the wedding of the the daughter of the neighbor. So the kids I grew up with, playing mm-hmm. with, there was a, they had a wedding. The older the older daughter got married, and so I went to that wedding, and that's where I met her. And the next thing you know, we've got a mortgage and and three. Well, but kids. it was the right time, right? Like, yeah. I I similarly I was sick for sixteen years. My wife and I lived. If I ran between our two houses, it was three minute run, an eight minute walk, and it took us until we were twenty one to meet. So, <laughs> it, she came into my life at the right time. That's good though. That's good though. How did she, okay? Well, since we're since we're getting to know you a little bit, what made you finally go from being a three minute run? I love how we throw that in there, like three yeah. minute run. 
Like for me to get to run to my wife's house would have been a four to f- a four hour adventure, four to five hour adventure, give or take. Uh, yours was three minutes. How did you how did you finally get together? Well, so I guess it was about 15 years ago now and we'll go in deep. So yeah, 15 yeah. years ago, I landed myself in the hospital with a pretty raging eating disorder and really when oh yeah so six foot one i was in trigger warning everybody i was 135 pounds and oh my god all the basically picture it like mile 90 of a hundred miler you're hallucinating falling yeah. down like just it was ugly and so back 15 years ago there was not the infrastructure for disordered eating right. particularly for men oh for sure because everything would, would it would safe to say that you had anorexia was that what it was yeah. okay so everything you've seen about anorexia was through you know you, you saw it mainly focused on women when it was portrayed in pop culture it was portrayed through women. If you saw it on TV in like a feel good back to school episode where you know someone has an eating disorder, it would have been a woman. For you, 15 years ago, being a man dealing with anorexia, that was, I'm sure you felt on an island all, all to yourself. Well, and especially because like men don't talk about their feelings. Right. They're not supposed to. And so I ended up in a mental health ward for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And when I got out, I had to start recovering. I I can honestly say I kind of stabilized when I was in there, but it then I decided coming out of the hospital, it's I've got two choices. I can either pause everything and recover Mm -hmm. or I can recover and live. And so I chose the second option and bringing it back to how I met my wife is uh, I had had to limit the number of courses I took that last year university. Mm -hmm. So I went back as a part-time to finish up my degree and it was like, okay, what am I going to do with this free time? I'm going to go be a bartender. And so I went and worked out in the morning and bartended at night. And she was the sous chef in the kitchen and sort of crossed each other's paths and said, oh, you're my person now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, and she honestly just, I'd spent a lot of years doing things for the world. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I'm in education. I'm a teacher. At that point, I was getting ready to go to teacher's college, but I'd already, I'd always been that of that ilk, right. To take care of others. And, and she taught me that I deserve to be taken care of too. And that I deserve to have that part of me. Yeah. And then we were just us. I mean, literally, I think six months after we got together, I'd been, I was telling family, it's like, no, this is, this is it. I'm good. Yeah. I don't need to keep looking. And we've been together ever since. And we've worked, I mean, we've worked together. Uh, She's a restaurant chef for 15 years. So we worked together in the restaurant. She's been my crew for practically everything that she can. Like, it's just, she opened up this part of the world where it's almost like you wizard of Oz, you go from black and white TV to Technicolor, like just a whole, yeah cow there's this whole world and yeah and she's been with me through that recovery that's a that's beautiful like the universe knew exactly what you needed and put you in a position to find your other half to find that person that would you know help dull the sharper edges of you that were maybe a little dangerous and maybe polish some of the some of the uh the blurrier spots for you and make you a better person that's that's beautiful 
Well, and let's be honest, I was still a mess, right? Like, I yeah. was still, I was starting to gain the tools that I needed to live a life of recovery. Uh, I equate it to anyone with an alcohol issue or anyone with a drug issue. It's, I am someone who, when stuff gets scary, the disordered eating stuff starts perking up. And so she's been with me to gain those tools, whether mm-hmm. it was therapy, whether it was uh, naturopathic treatment or whether it was running. Cause that's ultimately what running has been for me as a tool in the toolbox. Cause I would think your relationship with food was, was a, was an abusive relationship. Was it was not a positive relationship for, for a very long time. And then you get involved in a sport that has a very strange relationship with with food and let's kind of dive into that in a minute but so running you talked about that became a part of your your toolbox for dealing with this disease that you have that you battle with when did you discover running along your road to recovery so as i mentioned i sort of had some free time and Mm -hmm joined a gym that was walking distance from my house, walking distance from the bar that I was working at and started with just 10 minutes on a treadmill. Yeah. And that's literally, and this is coming from a kid who like, I ran behind a set of trees during the 12 minute run in grade 12, just so I could hide and not have to finish the thing. Like this is, I did not grow up <laughs> running. I grew up active as a kid, but it just sort of seemed like something to do. I'd warm up on the treadmill, go for 10 minutes. And then it was just, you kind of caught the bug, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'd been around it since I was a kid. I remember being six years old and my mom was the uh, president of the Canadian Paralympic committee at that point. Yeah. And so I was working track meets when I was six years old, doing the clock, running results, like all of that. So I'd been around that industry for years and once I sort of, you hit that 10 minutes and then you go outside and you say, Oh, you do your 5k and then you do your 10k. And then there's an announcement at the school asking for volunteers for the half marathon that's happening on the weekend. And you're like, Oh, I could probably do the half marathon and it absolutely destroys you, but you still <laughs> do it. And, and then you get the marathon and then you look at a magazine and you say, Oh, there are these things called 50 Ks. And you just, you go into the ultra world and and you brought it up, right? Like it causes you, particularly when you hit past that marathon distance or even in the marathon distance, it causes you to really evaluate the role of food in your life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as you said, right, like food and me, we were not friends. I was scared of food. And, and when you get into the world of, of ultras and running, like you have to have food be a part of your life. And that's what I've loved about running and and racing is I have to use food as fuel and it's reevaluated my relationship with food. It's reevaluated, excuse me, it reevaluated my relationship with my body because you focus more on what you can do versus what you look like Mm -hmm. and the number on the scale. And, and so I will value and cherish running for what it's given me i mean it's given me that improved relationship with food that's amazing when you talk about that and how you have you have the situation you know where you're probably and i and and please correct me if i'm wrong all i know from anorexia is what i learned in after school specials but you you don't see your body 
the way it actually a- appears. Oh, no. It's like there are times in my, well, particularly now. So I know your wife's a teacher. I'm yeah. a teacher. Mm-hmm. And like April, May, June, that's that's crunch time. That's your 80 mile and 100 mile. That's your 90 mile and 100 miles. So your head is not on straight all yeah. the time. And so I know right now, like I avoid mirrors sometimes and I avoid being having my shirt off in front of a mirror sometimes just because I know the dark parts of my brain are going to grab hold. And so instead I just have to be careful with some of my triggers. Right. I mean, that's why I mentioned the whole trigger warning thing before this, because it's that little black spots in there and I just need to take care of the good stuff. Right. I mean, there's a, a quote, where it's like there's two wolves, the the bad wolf and the good wolf, and which one do you feed? And you feed the good wolf, right? So I just have to live a life where I'm feeding the good wolf with the tools and with the connections that, I mean, largely that running gives. So uh, thank you for talking about this, by the way. You know, when we, we kind of came into this interview and I was like, you know what, John, we're just going to take this interview where it goes. Uh, there's not a whole lot uh, about you on on the web, and I love that because – I think sometimes when you go into a conversation and you have an agenda, you have like, oh, I want to cover this thing and this thing and this thing. There's a whole lot of things you can miss. And I'm hoping that at the very least, this episode might help someone. And by you talking about these things, especially as a man talking about these things, you're right. We don't talk about our feelings and we should because there's a whole lot of shit that goes down in the male noodle that if we could just talk about it, um, it may help. And I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that I have uh, a, a wonderful group of friends that, that are, are brothers through thick and thin that I can talk about things that are bothering me. If I, if I don't want to talk to my wife about it, I can talk to you know, Jeff Stafford or, or Travis or, or Patrick, and I can, I can be that. I can be open and not worry about being judged but a lot of guys don't have that and they think oh we're not supposed to so so you, you don't do that so i think it's it's awesome that you're taking this this time to talk about it i'm interested that when you do that 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 therapy and and you find those things was there a moment for you when all of a sudden you were starting to see your body how it really was was the the filter of the disorder being peeled back a bit i don't think therapy so i've been in therapy for 15 years and it took a lot to try to find a good one Mm -hmm. Uh, i was actually kind of pissed last year because she went and moved she went and moved her whole family to germany and now i gotta (laughs) find somebody new and but it took a lot of experimenting to find that person i don't think i gained as I said, like I, that monster's still in me. It's mm-hmm. it's going to niggle in there and it's the dark part. Yeah. The thing that I can do is be self-aware of it. So yeah. I remember last year we were building a play set for our kids. Yeah. And it took looking at pictures of me to be like, oh, that's what I actually look like. And it wasn't, it just was like a split second reaction when my wife was showing me pictures of of the kids on the swings and and just having a blast. And yeah. like, oh, that's what I look like. And so that part's still in me. And so that's the that's the one day at a time, right? That's making sure you know you're self-aware enough and you're talking about it. And and I appreciate the platform to be able to talk yeah. about it. Because you're right. Like we're a lot better now than we were. Yeah. I I think that 
the generation that comes after us, like it, our parents' generation. Yeah. No, you didn't talk right. about it. Don't talk about a yeah. thing. Right. No. Feelings? No. <laughs> what are these those? things? What are feelings? <laughs> exactly. Our generation, I kind of feel like you gain empathy by having gone through it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I am more empathetic for others. My parents are more empathetic for others because of what I've gone through. And and when I talk to family, they're then more empathetic. But I feel like the generation that's coming and maybe your kids, because I think your kids are about the same age as the kids I teach. They have that literacy. They don't have to be screwed up in order to talk about mental health. Right. They have that literacy and that comfort to be able to talk about it. And it really gives me hope that in 15 years, we're not, we're, we're gaining that self-awareness just as a society. You know, I, I love this generation of, of young people. And that makes me sound a thousand years old. Like, oh, these young people nowadays, but these, these kids that are, you know, in their teens and early twenties right now. And I feel like when I have a 20 year old, I can say people in their early twenties are kids as I feel like I've earned that right. Cause I, you know, I parent a 20 year old, but what I love about them is they have an incredible empathy. Like their empathy is dialed in so much more than than ours. And and I it drives me crazy when people shit on the younger generation and mainly they do it it's like oh there's a bunch of snowflakes they don't even have trophies. I won't break it to you. If you're upset about kids nowadays not having trophies and not learning cursive, the kids don't decide that stuff. You do, parents. It's your generation. You're the ones that are saying, we don't want trophies. You're the ones that are saying, let's not teach cursive. The kids don't sit around and go like, you know what? We really need to tell our parents we don't we don't want trophies. So all that to say, they have an incredible sense of empathy. And there was a story that was it came out a couple years ago. It was about a college and the student government at the college decided that there would be no more clapping at student functions. They were going to be like, they're just the outlawed clapping, everything. They're going to do what? Like jazz hands? Right. They were going to do this, this, that. They're going to do, they're going to like, like, they're going to do like, like, like fingers, like, like wave your fingers in that. And, and the story was reported in the media. Basically, it was reinforcing a, a stereotype and an agenda that's not real of making this generation look weak and, and wimpy. To find out that the student government didn't do that because they were afraid of clapping. They did it because they found there was a lot of kids with autism that had sensory issues and that that would bother and, and, and make them not comfortable. And so they were doing that so everybody on that campus would be comfortable at an event and be able to participate. Think, I love it. Yes. You've got – so my generation like, fuck it. You don't, like, you don't like clapping? Stay home. But these young people are like, you know what? I know it's only a handful of people, but let's make this an environment that's welcoming and and loving for everyone. And so, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely love kids nowadays, um, my daughter's age and my son's age. I think they're a wonderful generation. And I think when we're when you and I, when you and I, John, are old and gray, and we're in that nursing home, we're leaving. We're going to have a world that's in pretty good hands. Um, with young people nowadays because even if i see people like young kids protesting or organizing 
you know, marches and demonstrations. Even if I don't agree with what the kid is is marching for, I appreciate the fact that they're taking the time to do it. Like they believe they believe strongly enough in what they believe in that they want to do something about it. Where you know, my generation is like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and post about it on Facebook, and that's about all I need to do. <laughs> well, or or I'll organize something. But how many days out of school do I get? Right, <laughs> right. right. No, you're absolutely right. right. It's right. the the mental health literacy, the literacy about. Oh my God, the literacy about pronouns, I love. Mm-hmm. And I I will speak to a kid and and us again, old fogies, yeah, are are stumbling over like sort of the he, the she, mm-hmm. the them. Like we're we're stumbling over self-correcting. Right. For kids, and I talk about it, they're it's just seamless for yep. them. Right. Yeah. Like it's it's just something so it does give hope that those kids are are, as you said, right? Like they want to have everybody belong. They mm-hmm. want to be inclusive of of genders and races and 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 different abilities, right? Uh, different neurotypes, and so that yeah, it, it definitely gives me hope. Well, and I, and I will say this: I'm going to make a correction about our generation, John. I think there is a group of people that mimic this younger generation's sense of empathy and love and wanting others to belong and i i really think that's the trail and ultra community as a whole i i see an incredible sense of love and empathy every time i go to a race You, you see people that come from all different walks of life that are you see someone who's you know transgendered Somebody that has autism. You see someone who has, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're missing a limb. You know, they're they're an amputee, um, and you see all of these people, and all of those barriers disappear. And I think of all this, all this, the just the incredible amount of people that I've interviewed from different walks of life, and yet everybody can come from their own perspective and come into the ultra community and not feel ostracized, especially. You know, in the eastern United States, I can speak to very well because you've got race directors like like Jason Green, who the whole point of the Yetis is you belong. You are a part of this tribe. We love you for who you are. We welcome you for who you are. We accept you for who you are. Come be a part of this bag of nuts and, and just see how far you can push yourself and along the way. And know everybody here wants you to succeed and so yeah so i i think that's probably what attracts a lot of people from all of these different different parts of life who who are battling with things and um who've been ostracized by by other parts of communities and, uh, and other groups find this really welcoming home and ultra running and if we do nothing else you know, if, we, if we've ruined the sport of running like like roadrunners claim because we're too slow and we're too concerned about, you know, how much pie is at the next aid station, I would say just the, the spirit of welcoming alone um, is something that we could all look back as ultra runners and go like, you know what? I'm pretty damn proud of the fact that we're some pretty cool people who, who really what? love love folks and welcome. 
Yeah. And those are the type of people that really I'm drawn to mm-hmm. in the in the ultra space. So, I mean, I'm thinking about some Ontario race directors. We've got uh, we've got our version of Happy Trails Racing up yeah. here. Yeah. And they put on trail races and they actually now have a male, female and non-binary category. Yeah. For all of their races, top threes. And they've made that space available for individuals for when they're ready. Mm-hmm. They're not saying, oh, we're seeing there's people who were not serving at our races. It's let's expand this community to people that may not feel comfortable right. being here. We've got the uh, Canadian Running Series or the Canada Running Series. They put on one of the largest marathons in Ontario, the Toronto Waterfront Marathon. Yeah. And they just had one of their 10K races reviewed by a local hospital, Sunnybrook Hospital, to make sure it was accessible for Mm -hmm. students with, or for youth, excuse me, with Downs and with autism. Mm -hmm. So like, there are some very forward thinking people and those are the ones that you keep going back to, right? Like you go back to the the race directors and the the races that just make you feel that sense of belonging. Yeah, Bill, because I, I really feel, especially now as the sport is getting bigger um, and the boom continues to just explode and we're seeing more and more races and more and more uh, race directors getting into the space, it really seems like there's, there's really race directors fall into two categories. There are those that are trying to create a community and to foster a community. And then there are others that are looking to make a buck. And the difference you'll see is the community ones, their races sell out like that. And it's and you 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 go and you witness that atmosphere, and it is all about how can we make the runner's day great? How can we get you how can we celebrate your success how can we make this about you um and then you can always tell too the ones where there's the last minute course changes and all of a sudden there's like two aid stations instead of five you know like like the 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 winging it quick buck ones you you hope they don't stick around too long but they're good the good news is there are far more community building race directors than there are make a quick buck you know I hope you have if you enjoy it great if you don't I got to make a mortgage uh the type of race directors so again that's awesome that you have that and I, it's so funny that I, sometimes I think you know there's there's some group uh, this sounds very conspiracy theory but there's like some group that just feeds us things to get people angry so we don't focus on what's really important you know oh yeah it's called it's called social media yeah it's called mark zuckerberg <laughs> it's mark, mark zuckerberg it's called the algorithm of social media <laughs> because because here's the here the reality situation is people are getting all worked up about what is fair um, when it comes to competing in sports and when it comes to transgendered athletes and that sort of thing what is fair and i look at it like this there is no universal law of fairness Fairness is a, a, a construct that we came up with. There is no fairness in nature. There is no fairness in the universe. It's something we've made up that we create these rules for what is and what isn't fair. And, and so people get worked up about what is fair when it comes to athletes participating in certain avenues. And I look at it like nobody cares Nobody cares if you came in second. Nobody cares if you came in third. If you if you question this, go to work next time after your next ultra and tell your coworker what place you finished and they won't even remember it past 30 seconds. 
because they well, don't care. Exactly. And and that's I mean, you brought it up about ultras, but I think I mean, I know we knock on road races, we knock on yeah. triathlons and and well deserved. But <laughs> I mean, I worked <laughs> sports marketing it's... for 15 years yeah. and in the early days of Ironman. So when it was sort of five or six races, right? Mm-hmm. That 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock, like that last hour, yeah, it's like your golden hour at Western States, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. it's like Scott Jurek coming out and he doesn't, or being in his sleeping bag at, at the finish line and yeah. waking up and cheering everybody in, right? Like they, it was the loudest at 1158 yep. at an Ironman. And I mean, yes, it's grown and it's become corporate and, and it's probably lost a lot of that, but that what got me going when I was working the Ironman circuit is so much about what ultras are, right? Yeah. Like it's to your point, it doesn't matter if you're second, it doesn't matter if you're a hundredth, it doesn't matter if you're last place, you in the ultra community belong. Right. I bring yep. my wife to a race. She automatically belongs. Yep. I bring a buddy to a race. I bring my dad or my mom, whoever I've like conned into crewing me that day. Yep. And and they just belong because it's like, yeah, we love that you're here. We love that you're participating. It doesn't matter what size you are, what shape you are, what your your backstory is. You're here. Thank you. We care about you. And we're going to take care of you. And to your point, I, I really hope that coming out of this two and a half year-ish, whatever you want yeah. to call it. I like, I think it's dirt church radio has it, the global bastard or something like that. So I love that. I, I love that line, but I've tried over the past couple of years to really support those race directors that I want to see come out of it. The race directors that I want to see come out of it, the farmers I want to see come out of it, right. the restaurants I want to see come out of it in that, that, has been a silver lining of this. There's been a lot of bad to come out, yeah. but it's, I hope it's really had us reevaluate our relationships that we value mm-hmm. and say, you know what? I want to see you. I want to see you thrive. You matter to me. Right. Because you can really can affect things on a local level. Like, like looking on Facebook and being mad about what's going on in China. Yes, you're upset about that, but you can actually physically do something by supporting your local race directors, by supporting the guy who who put his life on the line, the the family that put their life on the line to start a restaurant because it was a dream of theirs. You know what you can do to 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 to, to support them. That's something you can you can do directly. Um, I've always said that if you have someone in your life who's lost faith in humanity, someone who's like, oh, people suck, bring them to an ultra. And that'll that'll change. Have them work an aid station at an ultra. If you've lost your faith in humanity, you will finish working that aid station, and your faith in humanity will be restored. Absolutely, I remember. So last year, I'm at uh, one of these Happy Trails races. It's called the Foxtail Hundred. It's a rail trail race mm-hmm. out in Hamilton. So you're about an hour east of hour west, excuse me, of Toronto. Yeah. And there's a woman there who's recovered from cancer. Yeah. And she's come back into racing. She's slated to run the 50 miler. Mm -hmm. And there's a guy who, and because it's an out and back course, we see everybody. And she finished, or he finishes the 50 K and he's like, Oh, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. She's like, well, keep going. He's like, what? She's like, yeah, keep going. I'll pace you. And the race director's like, yeah, if you want to do another 50 K, we'll count it as a hundred K. And she paced the guy irrespective of her race. She's just like, you know what? 
I've, I just met you and I care about you and I love you. And it, right. Here's my faith in humanity restored. Like right. If you need any example mm-hmm. to your point, go to an ultra, you'll find your examples. Do you remember your first ultra when you had gone through the world of five Ks, 10 Ks, half marathons, marathons? Do you remember that, that first of dipping of your toes in the world of ultras of course everybody does but i'd oh, say yeah. that i say this sets you up to share that story oh yeah it's a very nice transition i appreciate it. i'm learning my my podcast chops are getting better just being here but it's <laughs> honestly so it's the niagara ultra and so yeah. at niagara falls we've got one here as well in canada mm-hmm. and if you've got a chance come see our side because it uh, in my opinion it it's a little nicer. Do the do the bald eagles stop at the border when they're flying? Oh yeah, the we just we just yeah, <laughs> they they turn into Canadian geese. Maybe that's exactly what happens. It's just the border comes and it's one of those like just they go through a, a wall and they just become bald eagles. I think that's what it's, I guess you guys just call them geese. We call them Canadian geese. Right. I don't know why we would call them Canadian geese in Canada, but hey, whatever. well, I mean, you have your own bacon, you have your own geese, um, you know, uh, but I've heard, don't tell me this rumor is true. I've heard that the Niagara Falls on your side, it, it's maple syrup and not water. Is that is that in fact true <laughs> or, is that, or is that an internet rumor? Well, see, so I, I kept I kept thinking about that story you've got about the corn syrup in the, yes. in the bottle. Yes. Right? Like, and, and that's what we do. So we actually have a company called Endurance Tap in Canada. Yeah. And that's what they do is they have gels that are maple syrup with ginger and salt. And oh, and it's what? awesome because, yep. So you can get 90 grams of carbs an hour. Because it's it's sucrose based, so yeah. I'm nerding out a bit. So fructose to to glucose, your ratio needs to be one to two in a perfect world, yeah. and then that way you can get from sixty grams to ninety grams of carbs an hour. And that's what these two gentlemen have done: is they've created a brand called Endurance Tap. It's maple syrup, and actually we've got a an athlete coming down to you for Western States yeah. by the name of Reed Coolset. He's sponsored by them, so I'm hoping he he can share it out, but. Uh, I it's, need some of this in my it, life. It's like magic. You can take this stuff 90 miles into a hundred miler and your gut is safe. You know, I, I love that idea. My, my grandpa had a farm and they did do maple syrup. I mean, he produced maple syrup on his farm in Wisconsin. So I, I feel a close connection to maple syrup. I got to see if this stuff's on, on Amazon. If I can get a box sent to me, I'd love to try this. Hey, you know what? Off air, I'll I'll get you some because it's it. This stuff's like magic. But I mean, going back to your your question about my first ultra, so it was the spring of 2017, mm-hmm. and I dragged my dad out. It was the Niagara Ultra. Oh, you're gonna love this story. So the Niagara Ultra, it's a 50k out and back. So you yeah. go 25k from about 20 K out of Niagara, you go run past the falls. They kind of have cones out. So you're like dodging between tourists and people are like, what the hell are these guys doing? You've got a bib on, you're dodging between tourists and you come back. And I remember that was the first race that my dad, because my dad was the only one who could come out because my wife was working at the restaurant. Yeah. Side note, the Friday night. So this was a Saturday ultra. The Friday night, she slices her finger off on a deli slicer because somebody didn't put it away properly. Ouch. So she calls me the night before my first 50 K <laughs> saying, um, so I kind of cut off my finger and we we're worried about, and I mean, granted it was only part of her finger, but still <laughs> part of the digit. 
And she's like, oh, yeah, your mom's in a merge with me. I was like, so my mom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She's been in there enough with my brother and I, so we're all good. But I go and I finish this 50K and my dad's there and I'm looking at him and my dad's a sap. Like he's one of the strongest people I've known, but man, you get that guy in front of a Disney movie and he's toast. (laughs) So I'm I'm running in, I'm giving him this big hug. And in the back of my head is like, huh, can I tell you that you're a grandpa yet? Because we just found out that she, my wife was pregnant with our first. Oh, wow. And so I just, it was one of those, but to your point, it was one of those feelings. It's like, I belong here now. Yeah. And then it was just, it just kept going. It was, was a 50K trail yeah. fall. And the next year it was 50 milers. And it just grew from there because I found my, I found my tribe. Now, I do want to say our American audience is going, wait a minute. He seems rather nonchalant about the fact that his wife cut her finger off on a deli slicer. Well, here's why. Uh, Because that whole accident cost John and his wife a grand total of zero dollars. We're here in the United (laughs) States. We're looking at 15 grand. We're like, oh, shit. Where am I going to find the money to pay for that reattachment of the finger? That's why John was not worried. Well, and you want to think about an ultra weekend. So not only did... So that was Father's Day weekend. Mm -hmm. We came back home and because her finger was still like if you remember the episode of friends where phoebe goes back in the day and she's like she looks at her different lives and and i think it's like the french revolution or something and okay she gets her arm blown off and this really fake blood's kind yeah. of spurting out yeah there. like that's basically what her finger was doing <laughs> and so after the 50k on saturday i worked the father's day brunch on sunday because why not? That's what you do with your person. Right. And it was great. We had a blast, but yeah, try that. No, no 50 miler one day and 50 K the next day. Like try a 50 K restaurant shift. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's fantastic. What a great, you know, moment to share that with your dad and, and to cement really your love of the sport. And so you get that 50 K in, did you go straight to a 100 miler? Because I know some people are tempted to go like, I'm going to ease my way on up these numbers. I was definitely more the ease the way in category as best you can. So yeah. it was a 50K trail that fall. The next year, it was a couple of 50 milers. Uh, the following year, the it was 100K. And then, you know, Global Bastard hits and <laughs> hijacks everything. And and But... Last year, I was able to do a hundred miler. We set out a course. It was a DIY hundred miler. Nice. We set out a course. We've got some awesome trails up here in in uh, not quite northern Ontario, but just north of the city, north of Toronto. And we set out a four and a quarter mile course and did it however many times. I'm not a math teacher. My apologies. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and we just did it. Used the car as an aid station and did our DIY hundred miler. And I mean, I know I'm using pronouns of hour, but as you very well know, right? You don't do any of this stuff alone, right? Right. So it's, right. I was I was being crude. My wife was driving past at God four thirty in the morning, and and that was my finish line. Right? It was having my wife at the trailhead. So we, uh, but yeah, this year, hopefully the first official hundred miler is two months away. Oh, which, which, uh, first official one are you doing? So we've got a race up here called Tally in the Valley mm-hmm. and it's actually a really cool concept. So it takes Biggs backyard ultra and kind of pluses it. If you can okay. think about that. So they do a seven K loop 
every hour. Okay. And after 23 hours, you finished your, your hundred miles. And then that last hour it's called gong show. So you have to hit the gong. And that last hour, the winner is the one who finishes the lap fastest. So you've got people who have run a hundred miles that finish this last seven K in like 30 minutes. Yeah. I don't even think I could do a 30 minute seven K at my best day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they've this year started a hundred miler and the race directors, Jeff and Heather are awesome people. Uh, they do, they support a lot of charities in the area. They're the ones who do the, the non-binary category. And so I said to myself, if it's a first official hundred miler, I want to give it to them. Like I want it to be, I want it to be for them. Yeah. So, so again, the concept is the first 23 hours. It's just, you, you have to finish the seven K loop within the hour. Right. And then the, the 24th hour, the 24th and final hour Everybody toes the line at equal and it's footing. It's a, a limp sprint to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love that idea. Everybody at that point is on equal footing because there are some runners who are very fast, but would get destroyed to that point and wouldn't be able to. They'd be, they'd be hobbling out, you know, ten minute miles or twelve minute miles or fourteen minute miles, where you'll have somebody who's a little more seasoned, maybe a little slower, that's popping out nine, eight minute miles that could take the whole thing. Which I love that concept. So yeah, they've at the same race they've got. I mean, they've got runs for everybody. They've got a six hour, a twelve hour. They've got a twenty four hour, and now they've got the the hundred miler with a thirty. 30 hour cutoff, I think yeah. it is. So that's that'll be the first official shot. <laughs> that is very, very cool. How has your training been coming out? Because you you in, in Canada, you in Canada, you guys yes, up there sir. in the north. Uh, the pandemic is still hitting businesses pretty hard where you're at. Down here in Tennessee, we kind of forgot about it a year and a half ago. Uh, we had like just collective amnesia where we're like, wait, I, I know that there was something that was making people sick. Uh, well, I can't remember the name of it. We kind of we kind of moved on. So how it's got to be an extra excitement to be moving towards a return to normalcy and having those those big races come back. Yeah, and that's so. Last year is when a lot of the the local trail races started back up, and it was nice to see because over the past couple of years, that's that was almost like the first thing that opened up, yeah. right? Where the trails, where the trail systems, outdoors, and everybody was encouraged to be outdoors. And so you go to trail races and now there's this whole new swath of people yeah. and you're, you're all around these people with, Oh, this is, this is really cool. And so I kind of felt that rejoining of the community when yeah. I did some of the races I did last year and I got to do some cool stuff. I did a 12 hour, a 50 mile. I did a backyard ultra out in Quebec. Yeah. That was just a blast to be at. And, and so, yeah, I, I got to soak up a lot of the community there, but now it's just sort of been putting in the miles, getting ready for it. I've used uh, the same training plan I've used for the past few years, just sort of upped it a little bit, yeah. gone from the 50 mile plan to the right. 70 mile plan. And, so I kind of range in there 50, 60 miles a week. Mm -hmm. It's with a four-year-old and two-year-old, you do your best. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what? It's, it, it feeds again, going back, it feeds the good wealth. It makes sure that I can cope with a lot of the stuff that I do. And, and so, yeah, trainings, 
my kids know daddy's going to go out for a couple hours after I go to sleep and he'll come back and he'll be a better dad. He'll be right. a more dad version of him. How, how, how was that demon uh, during the pandemic? Cause it sounded like you got a lot of quote unquote free therapy, um, even though the races aren't free um, from the world of ultra when dealing with, with anorexia, how was it as you went through the pandemic where that thing for you, that thing that fed the good wolf wasn't available. So going back to that self-awareness, we knew some of the things that would get us, that would become problematic, Mm, right? So we knew for a lot of people, drinking would be problematic. So we started drinking non-alcoholic beer, one of which I will send you in that care package. So this is Rally Beer. It's a non-alcoholic that we've got up here. It's got electrolytes in it. Ooh. So it's... That looks good. I like that. Cheers. Very nice. So, yeah, we knew that that might be problematic and knew that I had to keep running. So Mm -hmm. there were virtual races. And, yeah, they had their problems, but there were some really cool ones. There yeah. was, uh, you brought up Jason green. He had some of the Yeti challenges yep. that were really great. And I did the Goggins challenge a couple of times to raise money for a local mental health organization mm-hmm. here. Uh, there's a, there was actually a, a Goggins challenge on steroids. So it's Goggins is four by four by 48. Right. This one is takes Jason's Jason Green's five by three yeah. by 24. So five miles every three hours. Right. And you do it for 48 hours. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so that was the last training run I did before that DIY hundred. So just trying to, yeah, keep myself sane, but then also, as I said before, support the good people that have gotten me here and making sure they make it out alive. And so uh, a lot of those were, were, raising money for either local charities or local race organizations that I wanted to see make it through this. Have you gotten to the point now where, because it seemed like you mentioned earlier about battling this demon of anorexia and in how, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't love yourself so much. Maybe it was, you weren't viewing yourself as you should. You weren't giving yourself the grace you should. You weren't, you know, your wife helped you see those things like you are worthy of of these things. Finishing an ultra for a lot of people brings a sense of incredible accomplishment and, and pride in one's ability and one's body. Finishing an ultra for you, is it that same? Is it amplified? Is it a reinforcement of what you're telling yourself? What is the finish line of an ultra like beating this 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 beast in front of you? The, however long it is, what is that finish line like for someone who's dealing with what you're dealing with on on a regular basis? I think for me, a finish line is just another run. Mm-hmm. I go back to the sort of one day at a time concept yeah. and and how the training plan, each run is that little step in that direction. And and the race itself is just, it's that celebration at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's the end of the process. It's really, I mean, I hate the, the, the phrase, the process, right? Right. But that ultimately is what keeps me going mm-hmm. is making sure that that process stays in place. And, and the races are just the fun stuff. The races are where I get to connect with, with the tribe and, 
and meet people and support people and and then also connect with the people I love. I mean, I did a race down in Pennsylvania recently and my wife had to take care of the kids and our best friends, they were uh, they didn't have their passports ready. And so I called up a buddy that I used to do cross country coaching with. And I was like, so I'm calling in my chips. Can you come down to Pennsylvania and crew a 12 hour run for me? And so the race became about that. It's yeah. my connection with him. So I think races for me are more tend to be more about the people, whether it's the race director or the crew or something like that. And, and the runs leading up to that are really the process that keep me sane and keep me stable. Do you have any advice for someone that maybe is dealing with what you're dealing with? It just doesn't have that 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 healthy relationship with food. What advice would you give them? Find somebody you trust and talk to them. The when I've been too deep, mm-hmm. it's the people around me that that save me. And whether it was, yeah, it was my wife, but it was also that cross country buddy of mine that looked at me and said, I know you're not doing okay. Is everything okay? Took me out for coffee. It was the principal that I recently had and the superintendent that I recently had. And I, I came to them broken. Mm-hmm. It was at a, at a sort of your ebb and flow. Yeah. It was at a bad time. And they told me, you know what, be yourself. You matter. Yeah, And so find that person that you trust and then go to therapy, right? Like we talk about running and the therapeutic qualities of running, but therapy is therapy, right? So go, I love the phrase, it's an experiment. So yeah. go to somebody who you think you might connect with. It's an experiment. I tell kids, go to somebody for three times if you if the relationship isn't there, okay, try again. Right. I mean, I can't tell you, it took me probably six goes before I found the woman that ended up being my therapist for, I guess, going on eight years. And, and she was a naturopath, right? Like not a trained therapist, trained psychotherapist. So they can come in different places, but find somebody you trust and then connect with, with a professional because they can help you get through it. And, and whatever you need to tell yourself to get there, whether it's an experiment right. or for me, it was very much about if I take care of myself, I can take care of others Yeah, and find that why. Good stuff. John Shep, beautiful story, man. I, I, again, I had no idea where this thing was going to go. Walked into it completely blind. I'm like, you know, we're going to let the universe dictate where this conversation goes. And it went in a very beautiful direction. Um, Thank you for being open. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for for sharing your lows and your highs and and, and just your story because I think it is brave. You're right. We don't we don't talk about our feelings, but it is brave to come out and 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 talk about it in the way that you did and and hopefully someone's inspired by it or hopefully this pulls someone else out of out of a dark spot and and thank you. I really do appreciate and, and love this conversation. This was so great. When I appreciate the platform and and damn, I'm on the adventure jogger, man. This is just <laughs> like I've had you in my ears for a hundred plus episodes and then the podcast that shall not be named before then, right? Like, damn, I'm on the I'm on the radio with Ryan Pluckerman. Like, this is awesome. So thank you for that. And and yeah, I appreciate being able to talk about our feelings for an hour. Yeah. Boy, who needs therapy? He's got free therapy. Both you there and you I- go. 
This is absolutely free, 100% free therapy. John Shep from Goodwood, Canada. We hope you travel down south uh, in our direction. And if you do, uh, make sure you, if you're ever the Tennessee way, you, you look me up and we'll, uh, we'll have a non-alcoholic beer or whatever you choose. That's on me, John, okay? You got it, my friend. All right, adventurejogger.com. You want to join the Adventure Jogger race team, jerseys online. We'd love to have you a part of our incredible global uh, race winning team. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search the Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 